episode 20 of the DNC podcast. It's the Friday edition. We are back. Dustin, how's Friday treating you? I am so happy it's Friday. You ever have one of those weeks where you're just like completely drained, like physically, emotionally. I'm just so happy it's Friday. Weekend, relax, let loose. How about you, man? 100%. I couldn't agree more. I feel the exact. I was actually, today I was just standing and I was thinking, man, I'm like, you ever, do you ever get into like a, like that feeling where you're just like, you're kind of in your own internal thought of like, I'm so exhausted and you're not focusing on anything else but your exhaustion. And like, that's how I felt today is I was just, I was literally standing there and I just had this moment and this feeling come over me of like, man, I'm so tired. And like, I don't know why, but I just feel that way. And um, so I had to get myself some water, put some organic lemon in there, get thing, get the juices flowing and get moving. Are you a big celery juice guy? Like, do you start your morning with celery juice? I hear that's like a big trend. I, I've never had, I, to be honest, I've never had celery juice. I've only had organic lemon. And so I've had like cucumber, strawberry, but I've never had celery. I tried it like a month ago just because I was like doing one of those BS juice cleanse because I was trying to lose a few pounds, you know? Um, it actually wasn't bad. It, I actually you were trying to lose weight? Yeah. Just, you know, every once in a while I try to do a little detox, you know, it's, it's more mental, Yeah, it's good to do that you know? for sure. Yeah, yeah. For health, for health reasons. It's good to yeah, get all the sure. toxins out, flush all of the negative stuff. Um, so coming up on the podcast today, we are going to get into the three big contracts that went down over the last few days in the NFL. And we're also going to talk about some NBA bubble news. And, um, but before we get into that, we're going to go ahead and start with our picks of the week. So my pick of the week is Bill Belichick, the new face of Subway. So what I think is hilarious about this is, you know, historically the New England Patriots, Bill Belichick himself have been very team driven, right? And it's, it's just been an interesting off season for, for a Patriots fan, right? We lose Tom Brady, who not only was the face of the Patriots, but probably the face of football for what, let's say the last five to 10 years, um, the marriage ended kind of ugly. And then, you know, we think we're going to tank and then we get Cam Newton, who is the exact opposite. Like I'm so hyped on all the Cam Newton videos I've seen this week. Like every time on Instagram and he posts something, I get so pumped. He had one a few days ago where he's talking about the different animals in the jungle, but he's going to roar like a lion. And then he talked with Josh about how Josh McDaniels has a dog now and can use him in a whole bunch of ways. But I love the fact that Bill's always been like a, a team first guy. And then all social media was doing yesterday was blow up with pictures of him having a Subway sandwich. Apparently they were filming a documentary um, for some of the Super Bowls they've won and Subway was a lead sponsor. And so it was a little a photo shoot for them. But Do you feel like Bill could be the next Jared? Hopefully, uh, hopefully he's not into everything Jared was into. Um, but um, <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, Throwing shade. I don't know. I, yeah, I feel like I feel like once Bill's done coaching, we're never gonna see him ever again. But I also think he's probably gonna coach until he's like eighty-five. Like he's one of the people where you just never see him retiring. He's gonna be the uh, the Joe Biden of football, coaching until he has dementia and he has no idea what's going on. Uh, yeah, I. I honestly, I think it's so funny that Bill would, like to me, Bill looks like a prototypical like old guy, like who wears New Balance sneakers and khakis and polos, doesn't cut his hair any fashionable way. Like he just, it just grows the way it grows and that's how he wears it. Um, 
he's like a guy who doesn't care about anything but football, like truthfully. And so, and the funniest thing is he had like the most iconic look as a coach with a cutoff sweatshirt. Like it was actually kind of swag because it was so different. And then the NFL had to say, Hey, you can't do that. You can't, um, you know, adjust the uniform. You can't cut your sweatshirts, but it was like, you have this guy who has no idea about fashion, probably the least fashion forward coach. And he had like the most known look from a coach, which is kind of funny when you think about it. So what are your thoughts on like, there's rumors going around that people still feel like Jared Stidham's going to be the starter week one. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Like as a Patriots fan, the fact that you're able to get a guy like Cam Newton and people are still saying that Jared, Jared Stidham is, is the favorite to start week one. Like, I think that's crazy. Yeah, it's called people at ESPN trying to be relevant because nothing's going on in sports. I mean, the reality is like there's nothing. <laughs> it's to, true. There's nothing to talk about. So it's super easy to say like, to, you know, everyone's going around with this narrative of Cam being there and possibly them being a playoff team because when you think about it, that's what logically makes sense, right? You're not going to sign. I mean, you you never know what Bill's thinking, but you have Brady going to Tampa. That whole roster really loading up for what it looks like a Super Bowl run. I can't see him saying, hey. I've seen Cam Newton play. Cam Newton's actually played extremely well against New England, which a lot of quarterbacks don't historically do if they don't see that defense a lot. And I think he saw Cam Newton and said, hey, with this division we're in, with the AFC being extremely top-heavy, when you look at the AFC, you see the Ravens, you see the Chiefs. And after that, there's a whole bunch of teams that are kind of caught in the mud. You have Cleveland's roster, but historically they've been a dumpster fire as a franchise. You have Tennessee with the lack of structure under Bill O'Brien. You have the Steelers who are kind of every other year. And so I think he looks at it with the extended playoff format with additional wildcard game and saying, hey, I say on Cam Newton, we go nine and seven. We have a really good shot. So I would be absolutely shocked if Cam Newton's not the starter week one. Yeah, I just think it's super disrespectful. Like if he's 100% healthy, there should be no discussion. Like he should be your starter week one. I get that people feel like, like within the organization, feel like Jared Stidham is potentially a franchise quarterback none of us know none of us saw any evidence of that when he played at Baylor and then also went to Auburn and transferred and finished out his college career there so I guess they they know what they have in him on a level but I still feel like you have a you have a you have a former NFL MVP and if he's healthy like he's your starter week one like I don't feel like you bring Cam Newton in on the contract that you were able to sign him and not play him like you brought him in because if he ends up panning out, you have a franchise quarterback for the next seven to 10 years. So I just don't really understand why people still feel the need to say, hey, Jared Stidham's probably going to be the starter week one. Like, I just don't see why you would look at a guy who's won an MVP, been to a Super Bowl. And then on the other hand, you have a guy who's never played any meaningful snaps in the NFL. So we'll have to see. But what I'm really excited to see, and my pick of the week is... This week, we found out about a five-part series that's going to be coming out with Charles Barkley and Draymond Green, and the series is titled The Arena. And if you guys don't know, there's previous beef between both of these guys. Draymond actually attacked Charles Barkley's basketball intelligence at one point, and Charles has gone back and said stuff about Draymond as a, as a basketball player. And so it's going to be interesting to see both of these guys come together and, and be a duo for a documentary. And um, I'm excited for that because it should provide a ton of comedic commentary. And um, I wonder if they're going to get at each other's throat during this process. I have no idea. But 
Both of these guys are hilarious. They're very outspoken, very opinionated, very passionate. And so when this thing gets released, man, I'm on the couch with my popcorn and it's game time because uh, this is going to be fun. The one thing I'll say about Draymond Green, and it seems like he's really grown up over the last year, like two or three years ago, he was saying the most outlandish stuff. Like, except, the when, he called, is, except when he called <laughs> Katie a expletive. Yeah, I mean, the reality is like, Charles Barkley had an offensive system like around him. Like you were you're running your offense through Charles Barkley. There's not one NBA team that's going to run their offense through Draymond Green. There's not one. You could look at the worst team in basketball. They're not going to run their offense through Draymond Green. Now what no, Draymond no Green does really well is he can pretty much guard the one through the five. He has an extremely high basketball IQ and he's a really good role starter on a team that has solid superstars but when he was going at chuck early on his career and like the well, whole he, hold on debate, he, it's like, he did bro. say hold on he did say that him steph and clay changed changed basketball yeah but i think steph and clay and you throw in pretty much any other rotational player i think that would change basketball that would be like LeBron and Kyrie saying like, yo, me and Kyrie and Kevin Love changed basketball. I mean, Bosch doesn't even get credit for any of the stuff he did on the Heat. And Bosch was a way better player than Draymond Green. I mean, oh, Bosch no was a number no one player on the Raptors, took them to the playoffs. Draymond Green goes to the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns are still the Phoenix Suns. They're still the 12th <laughs> seed every year. You know? And Draymond, I, I, I love Draymond. I love players who buy into their role and do what they do really well. And I like how he's accepted that role. He's adopted that role. Yeah, you have to respect that for sure. But early on, um, for a guy who really went from, probably was going to be out of the league for in two years if Steve Kerr doesn't take over that team and kind of change the way he plays and the way he was used to go like, yo, I'm a top five player in the league or I'm better than Charles Barkley. He's probably a top five power forward of all time. I thought it was it was pretty crazy. But since then, he's like super like, he's like a LeBron like hype man now, which has been like really weird because he should super be like anti-LeBron and talked all this crap on LeBron. And then the last three or four months, he said LeBron should run for president and uh, he has the Lakers winning the championship. So either way though, they both have great... Uh, Great energy, and they're great characters, so it should be a fun doc. Yeah, I think Draymond, he knows deep down, like even when they were going at it, when he when, uh, when LeBron was on the Cavs and they went to four straight finals and played each other, like he knew deep down that LeBron was a GOAT. Like he, know, he knew that he was the best player on the planet. So it's like they, he just had Steph and Clay and the rest of that team, and which gave him the confidence to know like going into it, they're probably going to win. But like he knows deep down that like that – all of those series were so incredibly difficult. Even if like the score and the series count didn't indicate so, like when you add Kevin Durant, that just obviously changed the entire dynamic. But but prior to that, I mean, the fact that they went six in 2015 when LeBron didn't have Kyrie or Kevin Love is still, I think, one of the more underrated finals. So when I was growing up, my parents used to always tell me money doesn't buy happiness. And it might not. But I always told them, if I'm going to die, I want to die on a yacht, right? You look at Miles Garrett, Derrick Henry, Chris Jones. The amount of money these guys are making for playing a sport is absolutely astounding. But when you look at a guy like Miles Garrett, who besides Aaron Donald is probably the best physical specimen in all the football. I mean, the guy's an absolute animal. Signing him to a five-year extension when it's not going to kick in for two more years, even at 125 over five years, I absolutely love the deal. 
it's a home run for Cleveland because they got arguably the best pass rusher in the NFL. I think he will be probably in the next two to maybe three years. So essentially when this contract kicks in, in year three uh, or in three years, you're going to have the top edge rusher in football. I mean, he's, he's exceeded his expectations. He was the number one pick in the draft. He's exceeded what we thought he would be. Um, obviously, we don't want to talk about what happened against Pittsburgh last season. But nonetheless, outside of that, uh, you have a guy that he just dominates the game from every facet. Like his ability to stop the run, his ability to rush the quarterback. He obviously forces double teams. He forces teams to game plan to find out, okay, defensive coordinator or offensive coordinators have to go, where's 95 on the field? And so whenever you have a guy like that who can dictate what an offense has to do in any particular situation is really impactful. Like I think even Jadavian Clowney, right? Like the fact that he's still on the market is really surprising to me. However, when you just look at his stats last year, you would go, okay, I can maybe see why a team isn't taking a chance on him. But there was there's so many unforeseen things that happen throughout the course of a season. And there's also stuff where stat sheets don't really give you a true indication of the impact of a player on a game. And I feel like defensive ends specifically, unless they're unless they're getting a ton of sacks, it's hard to fully see their impact on the game. And Miles Garrett, even though he has put up really, really good statistics um, in his time in the NFL, he's a guy that even if he doesn't over the next five to seven years put up 15 sacks a season, he's going to impact the game in so many different ways. And so I feel like finally Cleveland made a move that was really, really smart. You had to retain him. I feel like it was a really, really good deal. I know for you and I, Dust, we've talked about building our team from the inside out, from the defensive side and the offensive side. And so if you can get an elite pass rusher, that's a guy you have to pay and you have to keep him. And um, I just absolutely love this move. Even if, even if it's $100 million guaranteed, um, again, over the next five years, I feel like you got to steal because I really do feel like you got arguably right now the best edge pass rusher in football. And definitely, I believe over the next five to seven years, he's going to be the top um, edge pass rusher in the NFL. So absolutely love this move. I'm hoping Cleveland's finally starting to put together some consistent decisions that are going to benefit their team in the long run. And I feel like when I look at Miles Garrett, I look at a guy that is super young. I look at a guy that is loyal. He's he's relatively quiet. He's not somebody who's going to be overly polarizing. Um, and so I think he fits the culture. I feel like he fits Cleveland. And, uh, and so I'm really happy for them. And I'm happy for him. Yeah, I think one of the things that's going to work out so well with this contract is they're really not going to be paying him for probably four or five years. I think when I was looking at the structure, a lot of it's backloaded. So you look at players on their team and you look at that roster and you go, oh my goodness, that roster stacked. They have Landry, they have OBJ, they just signed Hooper. They had a few big offensive line signings in the offseason. But most of those people are going to be to the tail end of their contract, which means they're probably going to be released because most NFL players don't make their their whole contract. And so by the time they're playing, by the time they're actually really paying Miles Garrett the big chunk of his salary, all of the current guys are going to be off the book. Cleveland's also done a really good job drafting with youth in the secondary. And so there's not a whole bunch of people they're going to have to pay consistently because they've done a good job drafting. It also helps when you have the first through fifth pick every year to be able to get really good talent in the draft. And so if they kind of I think they're hoping take that the next this, step, yes. it'll be interesting to see what happens draft-wise. But they've done a really good job signing free agent, not only being in the market that they're in, but with not the you know, 
a high level of success for probably the last 20 years. They've been pretty active in, in the free agency. So yeah, I'm happy for them. When you look at Miles Garrett, to your point, like he's not about flash. He's not about any of that stuff. He just goes, he plays football. Yeah, very blue collar. Very blue yeah, collar. So I, th- I think he's a great fit for them. And I think he's a guy that they can build their franchise around. And when I look at him, I don't see him as just being like the best pass rusher in football. I see him kind of in like the Aaron Donald mold where he's not just like the best at his position, but in two or three years, he's going to be so much better than the second best guy. Like uh, Aaron Donald's level of dominance over any other, any other defensive tackle, like it's not even close. This guy led the NFL in sacks, Aaron Donald, as a defensive tackle like a season or two ago. Mm-hmm. That just doesn't happen. And you look at Miles Garrett, he's just built differently. He's so explosive, so big. I think it's an absolute steal for Cleveland. I'm excited to see how it turns out over the next few years. So another guy that had a pretty decent signing, especially from a running back, Derrick Henry. So four years, 50 million, 25 guaranteed. It's a lot. Yeah. Normally, I'm not super big on paying running backs. I also saw a breakdown of like the projected free agent running backs this season. And I think there's 10 potentially starting running backs currently on NFL rosters that are going to be freed up next year. I will say it is better than the McCaffrey deal. McCaffrey signed earlier in the offseason for, I think, a four-year extension around $64 million, which is absolutely crazy. But for me, the biggest issue with, with Tennessee, it's not the Derrick Henry contract. It's why did they pay Ryan Tannehill? Like, that's the contract I don't get. You're, you're paying a guy a boatload of money to hand a ball off 28 times a game. And Derrick yeah. Henry, to his credit, he really hasn't had to run the rock a lot until the last few years because early on, um, DeMarco, yeah, DeMarco Murray was kind of their workhorse, yeah. you know? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I was really surprised when they, when they signed Ryan Tannehill to that extension just because – Overall, I felt like he did a good job stepping in, and he was obviously the better fit for that offense over Marcus Mariota, but I didn't see why or the need to pay him that much money. And I know the way the breakdown of Tannehill's contract, as long as, like, let's say after this season and before the start of the league season next year, they can technically get out of that, and then they only owe him, like, a small small amount of money. But if they if they do choose to continue forward with him past next season, then I believe they're locked into not the entirety of that contract, but a, but a huge chunk of it. And so when I look at the Derrick Henry contract in agreement with you, I'm not big on paying running backs either. However, for 25 and a half guaranteed for a guy that pretty much single-handedly carried you to the AFC championship, I feel like it's a decent deal. It is still a lot of money. Now, again, when you're looking at NFL contracts, you always have to pay attention to the guaranteed money. So the, the $50 million sounds like a lot, but ultimately, he's probably, realistically, he's probably not going to end up with a 50. Um, maybe he'll fall somewhere between you know 30 and maybe 32. Um, but ultimately, I feel like you had to make this move because if you don't have if you don't have your running game and you don't have Derrick Henry, then signing Ryan Tannehill would have been really a moot point. So I just look at this over the long term, though. So the next four years with Tennessee, and I go, okay, if Tannehill doesn't work out, then you're going to have to start over with a new quarterback, which is probably going to put a a pretty big workload on Derrick Henry, which he already has a massive workload, and that's going to catch up. Like I don't feel like people understand why GMs and organizations are hesitant to pay running backs, even if they're super, super productive even look at Saquon, like I don't think that 
it's easy to look at Saquon and be like, yeah, you're, he's going to get paid and he should get paid because he's so talented. But at the same time, if you look at his production last year, although he was hurt, he barely went over a thousand yards. So it's like, okay, I have to look at the production, not the potential of what the player is. And that's how most running backs I feel like are paid is based on the potential, right? Whereas with Derrick Henry, he had one great year last year. But prior to that, like you said, he was sharing time with DeMarco Murray. So he was never really the feature back. So it's going to be interesting over the next two to three years where he had last year, he was he was the workhorse. He's going to be the workhorse over the next couple of years. How the wear and tear on his body is going to impact his you know future. And so um, I, I don't love this deal, but I don't hate it simply because the way that Tennessee and their offense is structured, they had to have him. So it was almost like they were forced into this. But um, but again, I think the guaranteed money is is a lot lower than I honestly anticipated him getting. So I feel like from that standpoint, they're not on the hook for a ton of money. Um, like you said, in comparison to the McCaffrey contract. But, um, but they needed to make this move. If, Like I said, if they don't have Derrick Henry... They don't have a running game. Therefore, they don't have a good solid passing game. And so, you know, they're right back to the drawing board in terms of kind of rebuilding. And so uh, we'll have to see. Hopefully they can hopefully they can repeat some of the magic they had last year. Yeah, I think what I love most about the deal is when you look at it, he really has a year and a half of tread on the tires. And so they're going to ride him really, really heavily. But maybe he can last four years because he's really only played consistently a year and a half. And compared to the girly contract that I hated, like initially, like the second they did that contract extension, I'm like, what are you yeah. doing? Like it's all I the same team. way. Like, you know, like I I never was on like the Todd Gurley hype. I thought he was really talented, but any running back who's in the NFL is talented. I mean, you made it to the NFL, right? Zeke contract. I, I, I've always been really torn with Zeke because Zeke was such a monster at Ohio State and I think he's so talented but then you also look at the Cowboys offensive line and obviously you've had some retirements and some injuries the last two years but I was like dude you can pretty much put anyone back there and they can you know at least be solid but he's also one of those really talented guys like a Saquon and a McCaffrey the McCaffrey one it's interesting because he plays so many positions all over the field, whether it's like a slot receiver, wide out running back. But to have one position player have an average salary of $16 million a year, that's really tough, especially if the cap goes down next year after Corona. But Derrick Henry, I think, you know, he got his money. He was the reason they made the playoffs, the reason they beat my New England Patriots. And so, you know, I give him credit. Yeah, another contract that we've been talking about a couple times um, or a few times over the course of, of our podcast, and it's been really one of the main headlines in sports for over a year now is the Dak Prescott situation. And um, we just found out that that the Cowboys and Dak Prescott are not going to be coming to an agreement on an extension. And I think this was what we had we had anticipated, that Dallas is really keen on seeing what Dak's going to do this year. And I feel like after this season, they're going to decide, is this going to be our, this is our guy for the future, or this is our guy maybe for one more year. And then we let him walk because I don't feel like everybody's in, everybody is throwing their hands in the air because they feel like Dak deserved to get paid. But, and as a Cowboys fan, I don't see where the proof and evidence of that is. Like he had a solid season last year statistically, but again, if you look deeper into those statistics, like Dustin pointed out on uh, two episodes ago, he put up a lot of those statistics against losing teams and against 
competitive teams and playoff teams, he was not good. And so, and when I saw him two years ago, when Zeke went out, um, when Travis Frederick was out, there was injuries more to the offensive line to Zach Martin and to Tyron Smith, and he didn't have a number one receiver, he really struggled. And so when you're looking at paying a franchise quarterback, you need to have a guy that's going to lift the team and elevate the talent around him and make the best of what he has. Like Carson Wentz proved that this year, undoubtedly. And it's very hard for me to say that because I can't stand the Philadelphia Eagles. However, I have to give credit where credit is due. And Carson Wentz 100% elevated the absolute trash that he had surrounding him last year. So Dak didn't have any excuse to go eight and eight last year and not win that division. It was the worst division in football. You have a number one receiver. You had a number one running back. You had a top three offensive line. Your defense was solid, not great. There's no reason not to make the playoffs last year. And so I think this is going to be a telling year. I really don't see him being the long-term solution for the Cowboys. And again, I really do like Dak, but I think Dak needs to go, okay, I want to be a Dallas Cowboy. I can be a Dallas Cowboy and I'm okay with a hundred mil in guarantees because I can get external money from different endorsements and things of that nature because I'm playing for the Dallas Cowboys. So I, I just, I think when you, it, when, when you see it on the surface, it's easy to be like, oh my goodness, how could they not sign this guy? Like, I don't understand. But if you look into the, if you look deeper into the statistics and you watch film, you realize, okay, this guy's not worth 35 a year. He's not worth a hundred guaranteed because the moment that you cannot pay other guys to put around him, you're back to eight and eight, seven and nine. So it's like, at that point, is it worth paying him that amount of money? So again, I'm hoping that he has a great year this year. And then the decision would then be in the hands, of course, of the front office and what they would want to do going forward. But just my my crystal ball guess is that Dak's going to be here for another two years. They're going to franchise. They already franchise franchise them this year. They'll franchise them next year, and then they'll they'll probably let them walk after that. And then we'll have to see if really who he was was a byproduct of this talent surrounding him, the offensive line, or if he actually is a, a talented quarterback that can elevate the team around him when he has subpar talent. So we'll have to see, but. Ultimately, that would be my crystal ball guess. So normally, I'm a huge advocate of the franchise tag. I think the amount of money you're making, even even if it's on a single year deal, like just take it. It's, it's a crazy amount of money. It's a blend, a blended average of the top. Five I mean, I would sign up for position. 32 right now. Yeah, 32 one year, like take it. But I pulled up the Cowboys schedule pre-show, and it's tough, man. Like I don't every know year, if, it's tough every year. I don't, year. I, I don't know if this is a schedule I want on a franchise year like you have you first of all out of division you're playing the nfc west which is it's the best division in football there's no other way to p- go about it right you're playing the afc north where roster wise browns are really good ravens are solid steelers are going to be better you even look at the redskins with having um rivera this year they're going to be a better team they're going to be more fundamentally found their defense is actually pretty solid from the front seven and then if daniel jones takes a little bit of a step this year the giants stay stay healthy division games are always tough and then you have the vikings who are a playoff team last year like the only give me win you have in there is the Bengals. like even the cardinals are going to be a tough team this year like the but Cardinals you- are probably going to be a really tough six and ten seven and nine team like they're going to be a solid team you can't you can't even that's the sad part you can't even say that cincinnati's a shoe in because we lost to the jets last year 
Like that was one of the toughest games for me to watch. Like if that wasn't proof that you have absolute authority when you can when you say Dak doesn't deserve to be a hundred million dollar quarterback, you look at that game because that new that New York game was so unbearable for me to watch. I mean, it was Sam Darnold's return game after coming off of mono, and we got absolutely destroyed on national television. So. When you're an elite quarterback, there's they're just it's I'm not saying it never happens. It happened to Tommy, it's happened to A-Rod, it's happened to the best of them. But consistently getting blown out by teams that are average to below average is unacceptable. And that's what I've seen too much with Dak. But he has so many great things that you would want in a franchise quarterback. That's what kind of keeps you on the hook. But then when you look further, you're like, I can't. I just I can't come to I can't come to grips with, I'm going to pay this guy 35 a year. But here's the crazy thing. He did have a contract on the table. He just didn't sign it. So, which was going to be over a hundred million guarantees. So if two years from now, he's a free agent and he signs a one-year deal for seven, he's probably going to be pretty upset that he didn't take that 110 guaranteed. I think the interesting thing is, I don't know what team right now is saying, Hey, if Dak Prescott is a free agent, I'm giving him thirty five million. Not one team. Like like There's not Cam one. getting Cam's getting what five five or six this year? Only five hundred thousand guaranteed. Obviously yeah, he had the injuries, but it's all incentive driven. So it's like, yeah, there's still all the red flags from Cam from a health standpoint, but there's also a huge difference between six million dollar contract with in, with incentives and 35 million dollars a year like there's a really really big gap there when also it seems like there's two or three really good quarterback prospects coming out of the draft every year you know and what i'd I love like- to see i would love to see andy dalton get a chance and if he goes like 13 and 3 like it Dak would probably never get a long-term contract for the rest of his career because it would expose him. Yeah, I mean, I think it's not that i'm like hating on Dak. it's just i, I think there's certain things that Dak does really really well and those things, although I think they're important, I think the situation dictates the complete success that has on a game. So he's elusive. He has a solid arm. He's a good playmaker. And those things are really, really important when you have other people around you. But he's not the cerebral type quarterback where you can say, hey, you know, you need to beat us, you know, between the lines, drive the ball down the field 12 yards. You know, he only passes the ball 25 to 30 times a game. And so, like, the way they use him to win games, it's not in the Mahomes or the Russell Wilson or even, you know, he's not even running a system like Jared Goff for the Rams where they're throwing the ball or, like, they're a pass-happy team. You know, the Cowboys have consistently been more of a run-dominant team. So it's going to be interesting. Last contract we want to talk about with Chris Jones. So, obviously, Patrick Mahomes, crazy deal, what, a week and a half ago. One of the big question marks was, hey, are we going to be able to keep our guy Chris Jones? So Chris Jones, he helps create a lot of double teams so they can get pressure on the quarterback from the outside. The interesting thing is when you're paying him four years, I think $85 million, 50 guaranteed, and you have Mahomes on his record deal. I like Chris Jones. He's 26. So by the time the contract ends, he'll be 29, 30. So you have him for the prime of his career. But for that number, you're going to have to draft superstars every year because you can't resign anybody else. Now, the one caveat I will give them is if they are able to continue to win, they may be able to get into that realm like New England did when they were kind of in their heyday where they were able to get veteran free agents to come on a one, two-year deal just because they want to try to get a chip towards the end. So obviously, like, the Patriots stole Darrell Revis. Like, 
Darrell Revis isn't going anywhere else for that contract. Like an absolute steal, right? The Patriots have had a few deals like that. So maybe the Chiefs are able to do that if they can continue to win, but it's hard to make a splash. Like they made a smash, a splash and got Tyron Matthews a year or two ago, who was really big for them on the back end from a leadership role and a playmaking role. Once you start locking up all of these guys in, not just on solid contracts, but really cap-heavy contracts, it's going to limit your flexibility, especially if injuries happen and you need to make a trade midseason. Yeah, I really like this move for Kansas City simply because last season defense was a was really a huge question mark for them. And so you needed to sure this up. And my thing is going to be going forward is are they going to be able to lock up Tyron Matthew, Frank Clark? Because those are two huge pieces on their defensive on the defensive side of the ball for Kansas City. The thing that I love is that Frank Frank Clark is 27 and Chris Jones is 26. Tyron Matthews 28. So they're all in the prime of their careers. And I know Tyron Matthews signed a three-year deal last offseason with Kansas City, so he's got a couple years left on his contract. Frank Clark's obviously going to be uh, one to watch as well. And then you obviously have Tyreek Hill. So out of those guys to try to make a run at a dynasty, you're going to have to try to keep these guys around. And um, I really don't foresee Kansas City losing any of those guys. Now, you look at a guy like McCool Hardman, who I've touched on a couple of times in previous podcasts, is a guy that will probably end up walking. Sammy Watkins will probably end up getting uh, another deal elsewhere. I know that he even flirted with retirement this this offseason. So who knows what's going to happen with stuff like that. But I think you have to sure up, again, the positions that matter. Quarterback, defensive end, those are positions that matter on the football field. Now, Tyron Matthew, the thing that's different about him as opposed to maybe a traditional safety is he he's a playmaker. He's like Jamal Adams. He's a guy that you can move around on the field. He can play in different schemes and is really just a ball hawk and a guy that finds the ball and is able to make plays when when needed. And so I believe that Kansas City made the right move here. It's a lot of money over four years, you know, 85, where I would look at a guy like Miles Garrett and I'd go, he's far superior of a talent and a player and he's younger. Um, but obviously Kansas City's looking at this from a standpoint of, okay, this is our core. This is the team that won a Super Bowl. We got to keep these guys around because that stuff matters. So even though Chris Jones, I wouldn't necessarily look at him as, you know, one of the elite pass rushers in football. I think he's really, really good. But at the same time, you look at it chemistry, you look at the fit, you look at um, the, the blueprint in which it took to win a Super Bowl. You want to try to keep as many of those guys around as you can. And so um, from that standpoint, I believe it's a good move for Kansas City. So we're going to have to see a lot of these players over the next couple of years, what's going to happen contract wise. And hopefully they can keep these guys. Cause if they can, there's a good chance that they're going to make a run out of dynasty because they're super young and all of their best players are within that 25 to 28 age range. And so Kansas city is going to be tough in the AFC, but kudos to Kansas city for getting these contracts done and super excited for Chris Jones. Life-changing yeah, contract. I, th- I think Tyree Kill is going to honest. I honestly think my feeling on him is like, what do you pay somebody team. like that? I think he's going to sign a team-friendly deal. I really do. I think Andy Reid pulls him in the room and Andy Reid says, hey, what you do is really good, but it fits our system really well. Like Tyree Kill is not a guy they can go to any team and produce. Like he's not the route runner. Like if he went to OBJ Jacksonville, he would disappear. Yeah, I mean, he, there's probably four or five schemes in the NFL that would find a way to use him. Like, I'm sure Kyle Shanahan, the Rams. Sean McVay, uh, Sean Payton. 
But like even a team like the Ravens, who were a top five offense last year, they're they're a run dominant team. They're not very creative. Like even New England, like Brandon Cooks was used really well for the Saints when he went to New England. We literally just had him run streaks. So right. like just because you're a great athlete and just because you go to a good offensive scheme doesn't mean the scheme fits you well. So right, I actually right. think Tyreek Hill is the one guy I don't worry about. Travis Kelsey, I'm not sure when his contract's up. I think you have to keep him. I think he's an absolute game changer at the tight end position. I don't really consider him like a true tight end tight end. Like him and he's like Zach a, he's Ertz, like a hybrid. They're not really tight ends to me. They're they're more of a hybrid. I look at a guy like George Kittle from the Niners, and I'm like, that guy's a tight end. That guy can run block, pass block, catch the ball. But you look at Kelsey, and he's such a good weapon, especially in the red zone, and him in um pat mahomes who are currently getting the the brady gronk treatment in the in the duo space that i know you love um they have a really good chemistry they seem like they really get along i also think it's really good to like your teammates and like have you know a good relationship with them and it seems like off the field i've seen all these videos of them like golfing together and hanging out together so i think they have a really good level for rapport and so i think that's another guy you have to keep but yeah my guess would be tyreek hill ends up signing a deal where everyone's like whoa that's an absolute steal the NBA bubble has been really interesting to say the least. I'm excited to see what continues to come out of the bubble and more information just keeps coming out. And I think over the course of the next two to three months, this is going to be fun. Like this will be a season we look back on and there's going to be a lot of stories that come out of it. I'm pretty sure they're going to make a documentary about this season because it's just it's such an anomaly. It's so unique and different from anything that the NBA's ever seen or had to put together. And so there's been some of there's been a variety of different things that have been released over the last couple of days. So today, um, Zion ended up leaving due to family issues. Um, so obviously we send our thoughts and prayers out to his family and hope that uh, the family member that is dealing with a medical situation is going to be healed and be healthy. But the interesting thing to point out about this is that he's now going to have to quarantine for 14 days when he does return. So with the Pelicans on the brink of potentially getting into the playoffs as an eight seed in the West, that's going to be very interesting to watch. I feel like the NBA hates this and the Pelicans probably love it. Because I feel like the Pelicans have been very big on monitoring Zion's minutes this year, right? They've wanted to, you know, they're reteaching him how to walk, get his body right, diet, really wanted him to focus on long-term health where I feel like the NBA was like, Oh, he's the next big guy. And there is even reports coming out that the schedule, and I haven't looked at all the schedules and all the matchups, but there was reports coming out that it looked as though the NBA was setting the Pelicans eight remaining games in a way where they had a really good shot of making the playoffs. Like the lay, like the NBA really wanted to push this Zion narrative. It was their dream to, to have like Zion versus LeBron like 8-1 because that's exciting that's enticing and the NBA is so star driven and um player driven I don't think he plays this year like I, I don't think he plays this year I think obviously you, you feel bad for the family situation and you hope everything ends up being okay but I think the Pelicans were like secretly probably happy about this because he can rest there's not the stress on his body. They can continue to develop Brandon Ingram, who's had a really good year, and now they can see a little bit more of what he can do. Lonzo gets a little bit more run. I'm kind of bummed just because I haven't seen Zion play that much, and he was an absolute stud at Duke, but I think I think they're going to shut him down. 
Yeah, I love that. I love that idea just because I think the Pelicans are obviously looking into the future, but I think they're specifically looking into the next year. You're going to have Lonzo back and Ingram and Zion fully healthy, fully ready to go. I feel like they're going to make a huge push next year into the playoffs. So this is really an off year. It's been weird. He's obviously had time to heal over the course of the last three to four months with the season being paused. But at the same time, I look at it and I go, this could have been a moment for him to get back into a groove, get back into the swing of things. But at the end of the day, they're not going to win a title this year. So rushing him back or being concerned about him getting enough playing time, you know, them trying to squeak into the playoffs as an eighth seed. Yeah, from a storyline standpoint, you love to see it. But from a future standpoint, from an organizational standpoint, when you're looking at your the face of your franchise, the superstar, potentially the face of the league, this year really doesn't matter. It's irrelevant in the grand scheme of his career. So I really believe that as well. Um, and I feel like this is just kind of another step in that direction when this report came out. So another one of my favorite players in the league that I just can't figure out is Ben Simmons. So a report came out from ESPN today that they're going to actually move Ben Simmons Finally. to the power forward. Finally. I actually hate it. Like my first thought when I saw this you was, hate it. I feel like they're trying to out Detroit Pistons who thought it would make sense to have Andre Drummond, Greg Monroe, and Josh Smith in their front court. Like... This, the spacing just doesn't make sense to me. You look at Al Horford and Joel Embiid, who are both centers. Like, neither of them can really play power forward. You look at Tobias Harris, who I like him, but I don't think he's a three. I think he's a four because he's not a great shooter. Like, he can't shoot good enough in this NBA to me to be a solid wing player. And then Ben Simmons can't shoot. And so the one thing about Ben Simmons that I loved was he has great vision. He has great speed. And from a physical standpoint, he's really dominant at the point guard position. But I also think they look at their roster and they go, I don't know if we can win it this year. My biggest takeaway is they got to trade somebody next year. And if I'm the Sixers, I know the city of Philadelphia loves him. But I think for the Sixers to actually win a championship, they have to move on for Joel Embiid. I think they have to move on. Like if I'm if I'm the Sixers this offseason, I call Washington and say, hey, will you give me Bradley Bill for Joel Embiid? Or I call the Clippers and say, hey, will you give me Paul George for Joel Embiid? Just because I don't think the, the Sixers have enough spacing. Like their lack of shooting to me, they're like a team that was made to play in the 80s. Like you, you just... I, I don't think they have nearly enough spacing. Like the Al Horford signing to me this last offseason made absolutely no sense. And although I think Joel Embiid is a way better player than Al Horford, the return you can get for Joel Embiid, you can almost get any player. Like Joel Embiid's so talented that you could probably get Bradley Bill or Paul George for him. And then when I look at a guy like Ben Simmons in today's NBA with, with switching and different things like that, he can kind of play the one through four if you have more shooters, and he also doesn't have the injury concern. Yeah, I honestly, with that, I would take Embiid over Simmons. And the reason why is because I like Ben Simmons' game from like a fast break standpoint and in transition, but he can't shoot the basketball. And in today's NBA, like you have to shoot the basketball on some level. And so if he's going to be your point, that 100%, in my opinion, can't be the case. And then secondly, if you're going to put him at power forward, I feel like it's a better fit for that reason because his his strong suit is playing with his back to the basket, getting to the rack, 
You know, he's incredibly athletic, one of the fastest guys in the league, especially for his size. So in transition, he's really great. But um, I just don't like the fact that he can't shoot the basketball. It really bothers me. And um, with Embiid, my only concern with Embiid is, is I don't know, he hasn't been injury prone over the last few seasons, but you never know long-term what's going to come back. And so, but I think Embiid's far more talented than Ben Simmons. Like his game is far more complete. Um, but I, what, what I do agree with is that they don't, they can't coexist. Like neither of those guys are going to be a part of the long-term future of the Sixers. Like they're going to trade one of the guys and you're probably right. It will probably be Embiid, but I personally would take Embiid over Simmons because with, with Ben Simmons, you can easily replace a guy that's athletic, um, that, can get to the rack and score, or you can switch it up and go more traditional with, you know, um, a traditional point guard. So again, I'm not a huge Ben Simmons fan. I I never understood the comparison. People, when he was coming out of LSU, were saying that he was going to be like the next LeBron. And I just never saw the comparison. Um, And he hasn't really improved his shooting over the last three to four years. Like that's a big concern to me. Like if we're talking 2016 season, then maybe I'm like, okay, there's years ahead where I go, okay, he can improve upon that. But the thing that I don't like is over the last three to four years where he's been a solid starter in this league and he's been really productive, but he hasn't improved his shot. And so that really bothers me. Um, But nonetheless, I feel like if you look at Philadelphia going forward, I don't think Horford's a part of the picture and I don't believe that it's either going to be Embiid or Simmons and you're probably right, it's probably going to be Embiid that's going to go. Um, but then at that point, it's like, okay, you would have Ben Simmons, but now what? Like now, like you said, to your point, like now you get him some perimeter players, you get him some shooters. But at that, at that stage, do you feel like Ben Simmons is a guy that could carry a team like that? And that's I my concern. You have, yeah. I think if you have Simmons as like a primary ball carrier, either at the four, I actually like him being at the four and almost like controlling the ball similarly to how like Blake does at times for Detroit currently. If you can get guys around him, like I know one of the trades that people were talking about earlier in the year was D'Lo, right? So before D'Angelo Russell was traded to the Timberwolves, people were saying, hey, should Golden State offer him for either Simmons or Embiid? And I think either one of those teams would have been great. I think you give the Warriors a guy like Embiid. Could you imagine if they would have pulled that off? Or if they could have had a guy like Ben Simmons, who you can put him at the four and he can just cut and run and do things off of Clay and Curry. And so... Yeah, I think the thing is, like, for Simmons to be successful, at least right now, like, because people talk about, like, when LeBron came into the league, he couldn't shoot. The biggest thing with Simmons, it's not the fact that he can't shoot, it's the fact that he won't shoot. Like, I think one of the quotes I heard from Brett Brown was, like, we ask him to shoot threes during the game, and he won't. So to your point, like, that's the one thing where it's, like, psychologically, like, what's going on why you won't even shoot it? Because even if you shoot 25% from three... At least teams will have to creep up on you, but I think if you get rid of, if you get rid of Embiid and you maybe make a trade for Bradley Bill, who's probably one of the best three point shooters in the league, and then you can and then you can play Tobias Harris at the four, Al Horford at the five, and then get another three who can shoot and play D. I think that gets you further than you currently are. I'm just I'm not a big big man guy in the NBA. Like I would almost always take a guard or a wing over a big man even if the big man has a little bit more talent, because I think because the NBA is so positionless, if you can handle the ball, 
I can get more out of you, if that makes sense. I think Embiid's probably one of the top five most talented players in the league, but I think at some point, when you have to have someone give you the ball in your spot, and you can't really create your own shot, I'd rather have a guy who I feel like can kind of create things on his own. Yeah, fair enough. So we're going to get into the DC Inbox segment. We haven't done this in a few episodes, but we're going to go ahead and cover this today. And uh, Noah reached out to us and wanted us to cover the Kenny Stills situation that came out uh, yesterday. And if you aren't familiar with the situation, Kenny Stills was arrested at a protest in Louisville and along with 87 other people. So it wasn't just him, but obviously he's an NFL player. So he's going to be headlining those 87 people. Um, so I think what's, what's interesting about this situation is, you know, with, with Kenny Stills history, he's been a guy that has been really active in his community. He's been really active in terms of trying to make a difference. Um, you know, I know that he, he got every Miami player registered to vote when he played with the Miami Dolphins. And then he also donated his man of the year money. Um, so he's definitely a, a philanthropic guy. So he's not somebody who's really going to make headlines for stuff like that. Uh, he's just kind of putting it, you know, putting his money where his mouth is and taking action. And so, um, you know, more information is going to come out about this. Not sure what the ramifications or consequences are going to be for Kenny Stills in terms of from a legal standpoint, um, as well as punishment coming down from the NFL. I don't know if he'll get suspended, but that will be interesting to see. Yeah, I looked into it a little bit. I couldn't find anything specifically on the arrest himself. I, I would say the thing that it brought to light from me, which I really like seeing from Kenny Stills, is the fact that he's consistently been active trying to promote change. So like you said, he got all of the Miami players registered to vote when he's a member of the Dolphins. He donated some money. He also has worked with like law enforcement. Um everywhere he's gone to to try to better those relationships. So yeah, he's been active in the protests that have been recently going on over the past few months, but also before that he was working with law enforcement saying like, hey, what are ways where we can work and be a better community? And so he seems very open-minded and not just, and very big picture driven. And then he also started a foundation for mental health um, because of all the CTE stuff and stuff that goes on with football. And so for me, it was cool to hear a little bit about the good things he's done over the year. Cause it seems like right now you're only hearing bad things about players, mistakes players make. Um, and so it was nice to, to kind of hear about the stuff he's done over the past few years. And it will be interesting to see if the NFL steps in um, and what ramifications come from that. But that's going to wrap things up for episode 20 of the DNC podcast. Again, rate review, subscribe to the podcast. It helps us immensely. So if you could share with your friends and family, we would greatly appreciate it. Follow us on our social platforms at the Dustin and Cole podcast. Be sure to drop in our direct messages, send us topic ideas, send us questions you might have, you know, engage with us. Let us know what you think. And we're excited to see you guys Monday and have a great weekend.